You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. Give me a go, no, go for launch. Booster. Go. Retro. Go. Vital. We're go flight. Guidance. Guidance, go. Surgeon. Go flight. Ecom. We're go flight. GNC. We're go. Tell me. Go. Control. Go flight. Procedures. Go. Inco. Go. FAO. We are go. Network. Go. Recovery. Go. Capcom. We're go flight. Launch control. This is Houston. We are go for launch. Professor Porterfield do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsors or their affiliates. Texas, where the stars at night are big and bright, it's the Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, here to tell it like it was and how it is, to help school you so no one can fool you, brought to you by the good folks at the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in beautiful Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So now, without further ado, here's Professor Porterfield. again to the Now You Know Show. I am Professor Charles Porterfield and hoodoo is my business. Well, what a week, what a week, what a week we have had. Let me tell you something, that fantastic turn of events that happens this time of year in Texas, every year has happened. And the temperature went down. We actually had one day here where it was in the high high 60s, low 70s. And all of today, it was in the mid 
to high 70s. So now all the Texans have crept out of our little thermal shelters again, and we are back out and around on the streets doing our thing, living our trip as best we can. And we have got a wonderful show for you tonight. And before we go any further, I'm going to take my romper room mirror. And I have my romper room mirror here. And if uh, some of you who are listening are not old enough to know what the hell I'm talking about, oh well. And I'm going to hold my romper room mirror in front of my face. And let me see. Who do I see here? Well... I see Alicia H. and Catherine Ironwood, Christy XP, Gabrielle Swain, Gia, many guests, Miss McHale, Papa Newt, Shalom, and Troll Towelhead with us here today. So hello, we're going to have a wonderful time on the Now You Know Show. It's not Romper Room. Oh, well. But we might have a craft section. Who knows? You never know what we're going to do here. And we have a wonderful show with us. The gang's all back here with us today. Uh, this week, because uh, we had a, a week of extra work, all of us uh, had to pull a little bit of extra labor this week uh, to fill in for our own Miss Loretta and our own Count Goulash, who were not here for most of the week, but came in yesterday, and they're both with us again, back from their honeymoon. And so Miss Loretta will be with us a little later on, and Count Goulash will be with us a little later on, and uh, Wink Winkerson and Phil Patchy Fogg are taking the night off. So we hope they have a lovely evening. I heard that Wink was going, he and his family were going to do a cookout tonight. The weather's so nice. So Wink, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, maybe Wink will be making uh, patchy burgers, which uh, you got the recipe for last week on the show. But tonight, here's our buddy, your buddy and mine, uh, that old Wallaby himself. Uh, the one, the only Charlie Witherspoon is with us in the newsroom. Take it away, Charlie. Good evening. This is Charlie Witherspoon for the LMC Radio Newsroom. Today is Thursday, September 29th, the 273rd day of 2016. There are 93 days left in the year and 83 days until winter begins here, you know, on this side of the equator. Tomorrow and the first will be auspicious days to bake, cut firewood, mow to increase growth, dig holes, wax fools, get married, buy clothes, entertain friends, and host a party. Tomorrow and the first of October will be excellent days for sowing grains, hay, and forage crops as well as planting flowers. There will also be good days for planting peas, beans, tomatoes, peppers, and other above-ground crops in southern Florida, Texas, and California. The 30th and the 1st are both core days for fishing. Today's highlight in history comes to us from this date in 1789, 
when the U.S. War Department established a regular army with the strength of several hundred men. Also on this date in 1829, London's recognised police force, which became known as Scotland Yard, went on duty. In 1907, the foundation stone was laid for the Washington National Cathedral. In 1910, the National Urban League had its beginnings in New York as the Committee on Urban Conditions Among Negroes. In 1938, British, French, German and Italian leaders concluded the Munich Agreement, which was aimed at appeasing Adolf Hitler by allowing Nazi annexation of Czechoslovakia's Sudetenland. In 1943, General Dwight D. Eisenhower and Italian Marshal Pietro Bagadoli signed an armistice aboard the British ship HMS Nelson off Malta. In 1965, President Lyndon Baines Johnson signed the National Foundation on the Arts and Humanities Act of 1965, creating the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. In 1982, extra-strength Tylenol capsules laced with deadly cyanide claimed the first seven victims in the Chicago area. To date, the case remains unsolved. In 1990, the Washington National Cathedral, begun back in 1907, was formally completed with President George H.W. Bush overseeing the laying of the final stone atop the southwest pinnacle of the cathedral's St. Paul Tower. Today's LMC birthday greetings go out to writer-director Robert Benton, who is 84. Singer Jerry Lee Lewis is 81. Actor Ian McShane is 74. Jazz musician Jean-Luc Ponty is 74 as well. Nobel Peace Laureate Lech Walesa is 73. Actress Patricia Hodge is 70. TV personality Bryant Gumbel is 68. And we also want to send a special birthday greeting out to air member Candelo Cambisa, whose birthday is on the 30th of this month tomorrow. Our thought from the day comes from W.L. George, English writer, born 1882, died 1926, who said, quote, Wars teach us not to love our enemies, but to hate our allies. This has been the news from the LNC Radio Newsroom, read by Charlie Witherspoon. And we now turn you over to Professor Porterfield and the Lucky Numbers. Lucky number, oh, dreaming of lucky numbers, hoping that those lucky numbers yeah. will show for me. Numbers only show for you and me. Superstition, or even make me suspicious. Table with thirteen dishes, it will make me sleep. Haven't seen. Hey, that's mommy. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, okay. Put my trust in good for dust. Cause you know someday it may bring you a seven. Or maybe a lucky eleven. Oh, that you see in heaven. Lucky number for me. Yeah. 
Yes, and just as promised by the Nicholas Brothers, we do indeed have the lucky numbers for you this and every week. And I have to tell you, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, Damen und Herren, we have instituted a whole new process for the calculation and bringing to you of the lucky numbers. This has been a long and arduous process involving, I kid you not, specially anointed, dressed, and prayed over and prepared lucky number balls, the whole nine yards, a new system. And I have to tell you, it has been tested, and it is working like you wouldn't believe. So get those pencils ready. Here we go. This week's lucky numbers, as always, come to you via the courtesy of ProfessorPorterfield.com. Why not stop on by and take a look? And they are 13, 21, 27, 33, 39, and 42. Once again, those lucky numbers, and baby, they are lucky, are 13, 21, 27, 33, 39, and 42. This week's particularly good three-digit numbers are 242. That's 242. 337. That's 337. And 975, that's 975. And I have to tell you that each and every one of those is a hot, hot number this week. But I have a particularly good feeling about 337. The card of the week is the Four of Spades, the sick bed, sickness, lingering problems, depletion, tiredness. Be gentle with yourself this week and take extra care and caution with your health and medical concerns. This is not a week to overstress yourself or a week to well, kind of ignore your physical well-being. If you have been preparing, eliminate a bad physical habit from your life, such as smoking, overeating, or drinking. This is the week to do so. If you need to see a doctor and have been putting it off, this is the week to do it. Remember, our week runs Thursday to Thursday, so check in with the Now You Know show to get the numbers and card when they first come out. And if you hit, <laughs> remember where you get. Till then, good luck to you all. Up next, our own Miss Loretta, no longer Miss Loretta Evans, our own Mrs. Loretta Newman with Cooking with Miss Loretta. Sweet Loretta Martin thought she was a woman, but she was another man. All the girls around her say she's got it coming, but she gets it while she can. Get back to red hot. 
Hi, y'all, and thank you, Professor Porterfield. I'm still getting used to it, boys. I tell you, I'm going to be messing up. I've already messed up about six checks. I swear to God, I just, I, I'm, I'm just voiding them left, right, and center. Welcome once again to Cooking with Miss Loretta, and I have had a special request this week, and it's twofold. So here's the first part of it for you all. I have to make a, I've been, I have been requested, I have been requested, not told, I don't get told. I have been requested to make a public apology, and I'm going to do so. A couple of weeks back, almost more than a month and a half ago now, I gave a recipe for goulash in which one of the ingredients was cream cheese. And it has been explained to me in detail and abundantly that that is simply not done. So I apologize. I'm so sorry. There won't be any more cream cheese to come anywhere near goulash. Okay, so that brings us into two this evening, which is this week's recipe for Hungarian goulash. And this Hungarian goulash recipe will serve four. So this is a Hungarian goulash recipe for four and I hope that you all enjoy it. I I, I did. Uh, this is not an old favorite of mine. It's a brand new one for me. So for this, you will need the following ingredients. You will need one and a half to two pounds of beef shin or shoulder. Any tender part of the beef cut can be used, and this should be cut into half-inch cubes. Two tablespoons of oil or lard, two medium onions chopped, and two cloves of garlic. This garlic will give you a better flavor if you also chop or mince the garlic up. You will also need one to two carrots diced, one parsnip diced, one to two celery leaves, two medium tomatoes peeled and chopped, or one tablespoon of tomato paste, two to three medium potatoes sliced, one tablespoon of Hungarian paprika powder sweet, one teaspoon ground caraway seed, one bay leaf, ground black pepper and salt according to taste, and water. And as always, this is being posted in the chat room for you all so you can take it down and have it for later. Now, to cook your Hungarian goulash, first you will heat up your oil or lard in a pot and braise the chopped onions in it until they get to be a nice golden brown color. Don't be afraid to let them get a little brown. Then add the beef cubes and saute them until they turn white and get a bit of brownish color 
as well. Okay, thank you. <laughs> sorry. Uh, where are we? I'm sorry. They're talking at me. Don't talk at me while I'm trying to do this. Next, sprinkle the braised onions and meat with paprika powder while stirring them to avoid burning the spice. And this is very important because if you're not careful, you will singe or burn your paprika and it changes the flavor of it dramatically. I had to throw this out twice before I got it right. Somebody is very particular. The meat will let out some of its own juice and then let the beef cubes simmer in that juice while adding the grated or crushed and chopped garlic, the ground caraway seeds, some salt and black pepper to taste, the bay leaves, and then pour enough water to cover the content of the pan and let it simmer on low heat for a little while. This will not be quite as soon as you think. It will actually take about one and a half hours total. When the meat is half cooked, which will be at approximately an hour and a half to two hours, add the diced carrots, parsnip, and the potatoes, the celery leaves, and some more salt if necessary. Vegetables tend to call for more salt. And you'll probably have to add a little bit more, two to three cups of water as well to this so that it comes out just right. When the vegetables and meat are almost done, add your fresh tomato cubes or paste and the sliced green peppers. And let this all cook down on low heat for another few minutes. You can remove your lid off your pan if you want this to thicken up, if, it's, if you like it that way, and that's fine. At that point, you will bring everything to a boil and then serve hot. You can serve this either over egg noodles or rice, and when you serve it in the bowl, you will add a dollop, which is apparently... For some of us, one teaspoon, but for some of the rest of us, it's one tablespoon of sour cream to the middle of the bowl and then garnish the sour cream with a very, very light dusting of paprika. There you go. I hope you enjoy it as much as my new family does, <laughs> and I hope that you will have a chance to make this in your own home as the weather starts to cool down. It's a very excellent and filling recipe for these colder nights as we go towards winter. Well, that's it from me. And now we turn you over to Professor Porterfield and the pontification. Oh, and by the way, thank you all for the sweet letters and telegrams. All right. Hey, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Hungarian goulash, and I have to say I was listening along closely during that and, and, and taking notes on a little piece of paper, and I thoroughly approve of this version of Hungarian goulash. Up next, the professor's pontification. This week, 
we're answering mail, and we're doing so throughout the whole month. This week's pontification, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus.
Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum. That's correct. And a brownie goes out to Gabrielle Swain and Catherine Ironwood because they both typed it so fast that on my screen it happened instant fucking So you both got it. You both get a brownie. Catherine gets the edge, corner edge part, so it has two crispy sides. Mom, you get the nice gooey side, the nice gooey piece out of the middle. Everybody gets a brownie. All right. Now, tonight's pontification. What a friend we have in Jesus. This month, and all throughout October, in fact, because we started a little early, we're going to be taking letters. If you have a topic or a subject that you would like discussed uh, in the pontification or a question you would like answered as part of the pontification, just write your little message down in email and send it to Prof Porterfield, P-R-O-F, Prof Porterfield at gmail.com, and it will be on the show. And we have a letter. We have a letter and a question, and we're going to get to it in just a second. First, we're going to explain why did we start with Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum. Well, first of all, it's a song written by, I kid you not, a man raised as an Orthodox Jew who wrote a song about Jesus. So first of all, that's the tip of our hats to A, our pontification tonight, B, our brand new little lovebird couple, Miss Loretta, and his esteemed, uh, his grace, his grace, the Count Goulash. Because right there we have a Jew and a devout Christian in a very happy marriage together. But there's a further reason. The further reason is because Norman Greenbaum wrote that song. He was inspired to write that song because of his love of Westerns. I kid you not. This is absolutely true. And he said, you always saw these Westerns. He loved them. He loved them as a kid. He loved them as a young adult. And he said, I just love these Westerns. And in these Westerns, there was always some Texan. There was always some Texan who all he wanted to do was die with his boots on. Die with his boots on because he was going to go to be in heaven. And so that's the other reason we played it, because to the, of the reason of our question tonight. And our question is, if can I have the envelope, please, Johnny? Thank you. This letter comes to us from Troll Towelhead, the Grand Mufti of Satanism, a Jesus fan with Jewish family out of Forestville, California. And Troll Towelhead, Grand Mufti of Satanism, a Jesus fan with Jewish family, writes, Question, how do you relate your hoodoo practice, which as I understand it is a primarily Christian activity, to your religious dedication as a Jew? Do you regard Jesus as a rabbi ancestor, ghost, or spirit, or as an intercessor to God, as an exemplar or prophet or human being? Is he the son of God? Do you think he died for your sins? Is he a redeemer to you and yours? 
Do many of your spells call upon Jesus or the blood of Jesus to cleanse, wash, or otherwise purify you or your clients? Do you think you get more Jewish or Old Testament-based clients on account of your religious adherence and way of working hoodoo in this regard? Thank you. And once again, that comes to us from Troll Tower, Grand Mufti of Satanism, a Jesus fan, Jewish family. And first, before I even get to start answering any of this, I will say thank you, Troll. You are so very, very kind to not only send that letter into us, but you are also so very kind and culturally aware that um, in that letter, I want you all to know that each and every time that Troll wrote God out, he wrote, wrote it G dash D. And I just, I, I was so touched by that. And I'm being completely honest. Thank you so much, Troll. So let's get into this. <clears throat> How do I relate my hoodoo practice, which, quite correct as you are, is culturally grounded in Protestant Christianity to my religious dedication as a Jew. Well, first of all, I will say this. Hoodoo is not a religion in and of itself. It is culturally, a, or it exists culturally, within the context of religious backgrounds. And the primary background that it exists within the context of is, in fact, Protestant Christianity. And then, to a softer extent, not quite as much, but to some extent, to uh, Catholic Christianity. So there's that. How do I relate my practice to it? I see no conflict at all. For me, Christianity arises out of Judaism. It's an off-branch of Judaism. Uh, it is a child religion to Judaism. That is not to imply that it is childish or immature. That is simply to say that Judaism would be the quote-unquote parent religion, and it is the child religion. I see no disagreement in this for myself. A lot of hoodoo uses primarily what Christians describe as the, quote, Old Testament. I don't call it the Old Testament because I, you know, I don't think it's old. I don't think it's done. I don't think it's been supplanted by a New Testament. That is a Christian belief. For me, that Old Testament is, in fact, the the, what is contained in uh, the Tanakh, uh, you know, Kivaitam, the Torah, etc. And so, because so much of this hoodoo work is based in that quote-unquote Old Testament, okay, I have no disagreement there. There's no problem for me there. We're using psalms. These are the songs of the Jewish people. We're using the parts of Torah, we're using Genesis, you know, that's Berchat to you, but we're using, you know, Genesis, etc., etc., etc. So there's no disagreement for me. In fact, what I find interesting 
is this. Let me uh, let me back off this for a second and say once again, thank you, Troll, for sending this question in, and I will tell you why. This was not a topic that I was ever going to bring the hell up. I was never going to do it. Oh, no. I had sworn up and down. You can ask my wife. I had sworn up and down I was not going to get into this because this is a more personal issue and therefore is outside of the context of the greater whole of hoodoo. I'm just some little guy in hoodoo. I'm just one person in hoodoo. But, okay, somebody asks. So now... I'm going to talk about it. Jews and Judaism, Jewish folk magic, are a part of the admixture of hoodoo. It's in there. That's a fact. I can prove that fact. It's not an opinion. It's not an opinion. Greens because they're nasty. That's an opinion. That Jewish folk magic and Judaism itself have a admixture influence inside hoodoo, along with many other admixtures, Native American, European folk magic, etc. But I, uh, you know, sorry, Judaism and Jewish folk magic are a part of the admixture of hoodoo. Fact. 100% fact. I will point this out to you in the following way. When you look at hoodoo products, and you can go back as far as you wish to look at hoodoo products, you will see a lot of, quote, Old Testament names and terms. You have, uh, you know, King Solomon wisdom, Adam and Eve root. The list goes on and on and on. But what you do not find as much of is uh, Matthew oil, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke powder. Uh, You don't find a lot of, uh, you know, uh, St. Peter uh, bath salts. You don't find a lot of uh, Galatians incense. You don't find a lot of letters to the Hebrews sachet powder. Okay? What you instead find is Old Testament material. Now, Am I in any way suggesting that those individuals who practiced hoodoo were not using their New Testament? Of course not. Of course they were using their New Testament. They were Christians. They were Protestant Christians, devout Protestant Christians. Now, the argument about is Christianity the slave master's religion? Is it a big scam to help keep people in place and disempower them, etc., etc.? I leave to others to argue. It is not my place, nor do I wish to get involved in that Michigan. Ah, there's another little Jewish word for you. I, that, I'm just not even going to get near that quagmire. But I am going to say that these honored and venerable ancestors – lived their lives self-described as earnest and faithful Christians. And, baby, they read their their New Testament. But I want you to consider what we see and have heard and have been told time and time and time and time again about the interaction of those ancestors – and the Old Testament. 
and that is this. There was, we know this, again, not opinion, fact, a sense of relation between their situation and the situation of the Hebrew children in bondage in Egypt. Again, I'm not going to get into the argument about, well, were they actually ever in bondage in Egypt? I leave that for others to debate. But in the book, there's the story about the Hebrew children, the Israelites, being in bondage under Pharaoh in Egypt and the promise of their eventual release from bondage and their release from bondage, etc. And this resonated powerfully powerfully with those Africans, those African Americans, those black people who were in slavery themselves. So there was a draw to that message. I will then also bring up to you that there are many places still to this day I have personally experienced this. And listen, baby, if you turn out the lights, I glow. I've got a mirror in my house, and it works. And I know I am as white as white can be. Okay, I'm not as white as white could be. My biological father was as white as white could be. I got a little bit of this and a little bit of that from my beautiful mother, who is not as white as white could be. But the fact of the matter is, I know that I am a white individual in this culture. I acknowledge that. And that being said, I have personally experienced the following thing, and I have heard it re and repeated to my face and the face of others more than once, which is that here in the South and perhaps other places in the United States, but I can assure you in the South, there is the following quote, Jews, Jews are another kind of black. Quote, Jews are another kind of black. Now, am I suggesting to you that, that Jews are actually African Americans? No, I, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying to you is that the attitude of the outside culture, the culture of power, the culture in dominance, has been in the South and in other places, but definitely in the South, that, quote, Jews are another kind of black. I've even heard Jews are another kind of black. They can just pass or that Jews can pass. Okay? So the dominant outside culture also groups us together and has done so in the past. Certainly since the late 1960s and definitely in the 1970s and on into the time that we live in now, there have been ancillary groups who have wished to create strife between African Americans and Jewish Americans, and those people have come from both sides of the room and have done so for their own devices and their own designs and their own beliefs, and, you know, good luck to them. But that is not the way it has always been. That is not the way it has always been. And in fact, most anti-Jewish rhetoric that is occasionally seen within the African-American community has its origins outside of the African-American community, as is, in fact, just plain old, regular, everyday, goddamn anti-Semitism. 
Now it's time for a story. Ready for story time, boys and girls? I have my romper room mirror again. Once upon a time, your host and announcer, Professor Porterfield, went to go see his wife's grandmother. He had not gone to see his wife's grandmother yet, and this was a dereliction on his duty. You know, he should have gone and seen her years before, but they live so very far away in East Texas, near the middle of nowhere, and whatever. So, into the car goes Professor Porterfield and his adorable little wife, and they drive the three and a half, four hours to go out into the piney woods of East Texas to visit wife's maternal grandmother. Wife's maternal grandmother was very happy that they were coming to visit, was very happy, had prepared a room for them so they didn't have to get a hotel, was just as tickled as she could be that her granddaughter and her husband were coming. And she was going to cook all this food for them, and everything was going to be wonderful. What a lovely time. So she passed the news amongst the family. Oh, Christy and her husband are coming and they're going to stay with me the weekend. We're going to have a lovely time. We're going to cook all this wonderful food. And her daughter, my wife's aunt, called her on the telephone and said, Mama, what's going on? And she said, well, they're going to come here and they're going to stay. And I cleared out the spare room and this, that, and the other thing, blah, 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 blah. And my wife's aunt said to her mother, Quote, Mama, don't you know he's a Jew? And my wife's grandmother said, without missing a beat, without a pause, quote, I don't care what color he is. He's a man, isn't he? Aha! The dro- the, there's, there's the dot drop of the dime. Boom. There it is. Right there. Quote, I don't care what color he is. He's a man, isn't he? Now, once again, I have a mirror in my house, and it works. And listen, I'm telling you, I'm white. I'm telling you, there's no question about it. Anybody that met me on the corner would go, there's a white guy. He looks a little bit like this. His nose is a little big. You know, he's got some kind of, you know, if his hair gets to a certain length, it gets a little kinky and whatnot. All my brothers and I have a different curl point on our hair. And, you know, like uh, one of my brothers, like when he reaches his curl point, he goes, poof, he looks like Harpo Marx. I mean, I'm not joking. Literally, he looks like Harpo Marx. And yet this woman said, I don't care what he is. He's a man, isn't he? So you see, there is an attitude, at least in the South, at least in the South, that there is some relation between Jews and blacks, blacks and Jews. That's a fact. Again, not an opinion. So for me, I see no problem being involved in hoodoo, so long as. I keep firmly affixed in my mind that I am a guest, that I am a guest, that I am a guest, and I have the responsibility of a guest. You know, a guest uses proper manners. A guest says, oh, does your mom, does your mama need any help in the kitchen? Does your, does your daddy need any help out in the yard? 
do I do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? Can I help here? Could I can I bring wine, bread, uh, uh, dessert? Uh, can I watch the kids while you're busy doing whatever? Do you need somebody to help? You know, d- uh, sweep off the porch. That's what a guest does. A guest also does not enter someone's house and steal things once they have been admitted as a guest. They don't go, oh, wow, this is a great table. I'm just going to put this in the back of my truck. Thanks. That's my table. That's, that's my lamp. That's my cushion. Those are my books. Those are my movies. Those are, that's my art hanging on the wall. No, it's not. It's in their house, and you're a guest. So that is very important to me that that is affixed in my mind at all times. So then this becomes a, what about my religious dedication as a Jew? Well, there are a lot of experts about Judaism. And let me tell you something about the average, the average expert on Judaism. The average expert on Judaism is not Jewish. Isn't that strange? The average expert on Judaism is a Christian, often a Protestant Christian, often uh, one of the types of Southern Protestant Christians, meaning you know they're Baptists. There are very few Methodists. There are occasionally occasionally Episcopalians, and they know in their minds all they need to know about Judaism. They believe that they are experts. And they act and speak and write and publish as if they were indeed experts on Judaism, Jews, Jewish culture. Well, first of all, they're half-assed, very bad experts on Ashkenazim, Ashkenazi Jews. And they're not very good experts on Ashkenazi Jews anyway – But that's it, because they don't even know that there are Sephardic Jews or Ethiopian Jews or the Bene Israel out of India or or Chinese Jews. They don't even know that, and they wouldn't know uh, uh, Haredim from Hasidim, from conservative, from reform, if you hit them with a stick. But they're (laughs) – they're all experts on Jews. <clears throat> and this is the way that they are primarily experts in Judaism. They are experts in telling Jews what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. And one of the things that I hear quite a lot as a practitioner of hoodoo from these experts is that as a Jew, I am disallowed by Jewish law from practicing hoodoo and that I'm not supposed to do that. And that's a fact, according to them. That, that, that's a fact, according to them. Now, here's the problem with that. It's not a fact! Okay? Listen, there's quite a debate amongst Jews about where the Talmud plays into our entire culture and into the religion and what it means, etc. And a very dear friend of mine, who is a Jew herself, who's sitting in the chat room, you know, She's not all that into the Talmudic thing, and, you know, she and I make light fun at each other about it, and we have a good old Jewy joking time about that. But I'm telling you, partners, I've got 
the freaking ta- you know how much fucking shelf space I have lost to the Talmud. I mean, this is a lot of books, people. Like if I stack them up, you know, vertically all together, they're taller than me, and I'm a big guy, okay? And they're taller than me. And have I read every single word of the Talmud in perfection, and I have an absolute and perfect understanding of the Talmud? No. No, I do not have an absolute understanding of the Talmud. But I'm here to tell you that I happen to be aware of what Jewish law is and how, you know, that plays in normative practice of Judaism, of various streams of Judaism, and I find nothing, nothing, nothing that tells me I'm not supposed to practice hoodoo. Let me break it down for you. Hoodoo is not a religion. Hoodoo does not have idols. I have no idols in my house. I pay no homage to idols. I'm not engaged in idol worship. My hoodoo practice is not worship, nor is it worshipful. So, there you go. There you go. I don't have that problem. Let me tell you what I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm not supposed to be whispering with the dead. That's what I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm not supposed to be whispering with the dead. I'm not supposed to be engaging in various forms of what would generally be called necromancy. Hey, it's okay with me. I'm fine with not engaging in necromancy. I'm 100% solid with not, you know, I didn't, you know, there's never been a day that I've got up and said, hey, how about a little necromancy today? You know, and listen, I know people, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. If you're listening, I, I, you're, you're nice guys, but you know exactly who I'm talking about, who have woken up and said, you know, what we're going to do today, we're going to do a little necromancy. Okay. So I don't see that problem. I will say to you this. Mamamides, the Rambam, Mamamides would not be pleased with me. Mamamides would not be pleased with me at all. Mamamides would not be happy with what I'm doing at all. And here's why. Mamamides would say that I was being superstitious. Mamamides was against Jewish folk magic. Okay? He felt that it was superstitious, that it was non-thinking, that it was backwards in thought, that it encouraged an infantile methodology of thought, and that it robbed religious practice of breadth and of augustness, and that the critical thinking mind was far more important than superstitious quote-unquote magic. Well, Mamamides is a highly respected teacher, uh, highly respected. Oh, and by the way, if you think you're an expert on Judaism and you don't know who the Rambam is, I don't want to talk to you because you're definitely not, definitely not an expert in Judaism. And the Rambam would not have been okay with me practicing Hoodooism. Now, fortunately, the Rambam is a teacher. He is not a Messiah. He is a teacher amongst many teachers. I can go and find you a number of Polish Great, profound rabbis and teachers, highly respected, perhaps not as respected as the Rambam, who are deeply read, who have been greatly appreciated culturally, religiously, who were totally fine with you doing folk magic. Like, they were like way magical rabbis, okay, who did all sorts, you know, 
all sorts of things. I can find you uh, older rabbis living in what the Christians call the Holy Land, okay, uh, who performed magical acts like making cucumber fields. I kid you not. Making cucumber fields, uh, furrow themselves, plant the cucumbers, and the cucumbers become come to bloom and ripen and harvest themselves into lovely piles of beautiful, fresh, wonderful cucumbers as the rabbi walked by that field. Not by accident. Not like he walked by the field and he was so holy that, you know, the cucumbers said, oh, we want to be within salads for him. We want to be in, we want to be in, in salads for him. No, he literally, this was be Rabbi Akiva, made the field do all that. All right? So this is our internal thing. This is our own Jewish internal thing between magic or not magic, between folk tradition or not folk tradition, between thinking or taking spirituality to the point that it robs the mind of critical thought, etc. And no, I don't see a problem. Moving on. Do I regard Jesus as a rabbi, ancestor, ghost, or spirit, or an intercessor to God? An exemplary prophet, a human being, is he the son of God? Do I think that he died for my sins? Is he a redeemer to me and to mine? I do not accept that Jesus died for my sins. Ah, shock of shocks. I'm a Jew. I don't think that Jesus died for my sins. I don't think it was necessary for him to die for my sins. And I don't think it was normative within Judaism for him to die for my sins. And that's not the way our system works. It's not the way our system used to work. And it's not the way our system worked at the time. And it's not the way our system is working now. Does that mean that I don't think Jesus might not have died for your sins? Sure. Hey, that's not for me to say. It's not for me to say. It's not for me to deny Jesus and say, no, he's nothing to you. No, you're all fools. No, I didn't say that. I'm talking about for me. No, I do not believe Jesus died for my sins because I do not believe as a Jew who practices Judaism that that is how one makes atonement for sin. Because Judaism teaches me that sin can't be erased like that. That I can't just, first of all, Judaism teaches me not that there is sin, it teaches me that there is het. Het term, interestingly enough. And it means to miss the target. You were trying to hit the target and you missed the target. Judaism teaches me that there is transgression. Judaism teaches me that there is failure to do the right thing. That there is wrong action. That there is wrong thinking. But not that there is, quote, original sin to be cleansed of. And Judaism teaches me that I make atonement for my sins by action. And now we have reached the great divide. The great divide between Judaism and and Christianity can be seen to the right outside the uh, plane. We're going to go over it. And uh, as you can see, this great divide was formed uh, by thousands of years of geologic erosion. It's uh, the great Judaism-Christianity divide is a national park protected by the federal government. And uh, you can take a burrow ride down into the Judaism-Christianity divide. It's a lovely time, and we hope that you all will enjoy your time here. Okay? Here is the great divide. Christianity says it is by faith, not by acts. Judaism says 
pretty much the exact freaking opposite. It is by acts, not by faith. Judaism says faith is great. You should have faith. Sure, great. What's wrong with faith? There's nothing wrong with faith. That's great. Faith is faith is good. Faith is wonderful. But faith is a personal, internal experience, and faith doesn't change the world. Faith doesn't feed the hungry. Faith doesn't clothe the poor. Faith does not help the orphan and the widow. Faith doesn't stop wars. Faith doesn't save the environment. Faith doesn't stop people from doing wicked and evil things to people that are not protected. These are some of the core tenets of Judaism, that it is our risk to do those things. If you think I'm being some kind of liberal, like, well, there's old professor, liberal Professor Porterfield. You know, he says he's from Texas, and he's this Mr. Conservative whatever guy, and, you know, he's actually a fucking liberal because uh, I don't believe that uh, saving the environment has anything to do with Judaism. <laughs> Once again, you're one of those experts on Judaism who is fucking wrong because protection of the environment and correct and thoughtful use and interaction with nature is a core tenet of Judaism, and not a new one. Not like, you know, in 75, we all got together during the Silent Spring and said, shit, man, somebody ought to do something about this. No, it is a core element of Judaism. So Judaism says it is by action that we cleanse ourselves, we redeem ourselves, we make amends. We make amends. In fact, you can sort of think of Judaism as a lovely 12-step program. First I go, well, there is a God, and there's God up there, and now what the fuck did I do, and uh, how do I make amends for that, and uh, etc. Okay? In fact, <laughs> Sunday is Rosh Hashanah. That will be followed by Yom Kippur, and I'm getting ready to do that. So I do not believe that it is by faith alone and not acts that we do things. I believe that it is by action that we make changes. And faith's wonderful. Why shouldn't you have faith? Of course, have faith. But you can, you can kneel on your knees with your hands pressed together in a cold water flat in the middle of winter until icicles form off your fingers. God says, get up and do something. Get up and do something. Now, let's bring it back to hoodoo. I think that that's exactly what I'm doing. You notice I said think. I don't know. I don't know the mind of God, and I don't presume to know the mind of God. That, that, that way lays madness. That way lays – that way also lays megachurches and apparent political careers, but I'm happy not going anywhere near it, not going anywhere near that. I don't know the mind of God, but I see hoodoo as action. Hoodoo is action. Most of my clients – need from me two things. They need magical work done, and they need a kind of spiritual counseling. I have said that often I consider myself to be in the, quote, common sense business. My cards, in fact, should say, Professor Porterfield, common sense expert, and then in the corner just have my phone number. Action. To take action. And again, this is not supposed to be you know, dreadful, harmful, oh, let's go burn everything down. No, this, this means you've got to get up, dust your own ass off, and take care of things. And 
for me, there's no disagreement with that in hoodoo. What do I think of Jesus? Well, I think of Jesus as my Jewish ancestor, and, you know, to some extent, and, uh, you know, part, we're both part of the general same family, and uh, there we are, okay? That's who Jesus is to me. He's a guy. And was he a rabbi? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was a rabbi. Lots of people were rabbis. Lots of people were rabbis. Uh, you know, and most people, you must understand, in those days were not rabbis 24/7. A rabbi is not a priest. A rabbi is a teacher. You know, it has often been said that perhaps the best word translation for rabbi is not in English, but is in fact in Japanese, and is sensei. A rabbi is a teacher slash master, not a priest. Not a priest. Do I think Jesus was a Kohen? That he was a priest of the temple? No! No, he was not. No, he was not. I am sure of that. Was he a rabbi? Was he a teacher? Was he a master to people? Yeah, seems like he was. But he was also a carpenter. Well, that's okay. Rabbi Akiva was also a leather worker. Shammai was also an architect. See, they were two things. They were two things. They were rabbi, rabbi by night, uh, you know, blacksmith by day. And then someone says, is there a rabbi? Is there a rabbi? And they run off into a phone booth and pull their, pull their work clothes off and leap out. There's rabbi man. By the way, if you know anything about comics and the history of comics in America and the history of Superman and the representation of what Superman does in fact represent and where he comes from, uh, that, what I just said was completely intentional. Um, and if you're wondering about that, just go and research the name Cal-El and then come back and, and tell me you know, <laughs> what you learned, what you learned from that, all right? Jesus was, in fact, clearly a teacher. What do I think Jesus was? What do I think Jesus did? What do I think Jesus was trying to do? This is the way I sum it up. This is how I sum it up. Jesus simply attempted to create reform Judaism about 200 to 300 years too fucking soon. That's, that's Jesus for me. That's all Jesus is trying to do is basically create Reform Judaism, and I mean Reform Judaism as it exists right the fuck now, okay? Uh, just, you know, a thousand plus years too soon, okay? That, that was it. That was it. Do I think he was the son of God? No, I'm a Jew. I don't think God has a son. See, you must understand that as a Jew, when people say to me, there's a God, and this God impregnated a woman through a ghost, and then she bore a child that was, in fact, the God himself, and she raised him. He lived, and then he died by sacrificing himself, and then rose anew from that sacrifice to then ascend back to the divine realm. I go, that, that sounds like Zeus you're talking about there, pal. That sounds like you know the holly king or the the oak king or the sun king that sounds like you know Dionysus or Apollo or Balder that that that's what that sounds or or you know Osiris or somebody the fuck like that is what that sounds like to me and i must tell you and i hope i'm not going to shock you and i hope that i'm not going to offend you but i'm going to tell you that for a lot of jews 
not all of us, but for a lot of Jews, we do and have and continue to consider Christians to be pagans. Uh-oh. No, it's true. Really. I mean, no offense. I mean, I'm really not trying to be offensive here, but there's this God who impregnates a woman through a ghost, and then she had thing in the, in the ascension and the, the whole nine yards. And, and, and I'm sorry. We just kind of – that's kind of paganism for us. Okay? So no, I do not think he was the son of God. I don't think he died for my sins. I don't think he is my redeemer. Could he have died for others' sins? Perhaps. Could he redeem other people? Perhaps. Certainly there are people who have had their lives turned around by their interaction with the idea, the words, the spirit, and the essence, if you will, of Jesus Christ. And it is far be it for me to deny them their experience or to say that they're wrong or to say that it's disempowered or to say that they're foolish. Now, then the inevitable question comes up. Well, wait a minute, Professor Porterfield. If you're saying that's true, then shouldn't you be – shouldn't you acknowledge him and do this? No, I shouldn't because I have a different covenant. I have a different set of beliefs. I have a different promise, and I have a different thing going over here, and I'm perfectly fine. Thank you very much. Do many of your spells, asks Troll, call upon Jesus or the blood of Jesus to cleanse, to wash, or otherwise purify you or your clients? Yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Okay? Yes, it does. Why? You just said you don't think that that's true. Once again, can we remember that I'm a guest? Can we remember that in its context, hoodoo exists within the framework, the backdrop of Protestant Christianity? It is not my job to try to tell people who practice hoodoo, who are Protestant, who are Protestant who are Protestant Christians, that they're wrong, nor do I believe they're wrong. I believe they're right for them. And I would be outside of normative hoodoo if I tried to make hoodoo into a completely Jewish experience. It's not a Jewish experience. You know, that would be wrong of me. Once again, I'm a goddamn guest here. Okay? It is important to speak to people from where they're coming from from where they're coming from it does me no good to say to somebody to say to somebody uh oh well uh what you do is you go in here and uh you just call upon uh elijah you just go in here and you call during the spiritual bath you're going to go in here and call upon elijah the jewish friendly bald-headed ghost who kills people with bears and that everything will be fine now, maybe if somebody had an issue with being bald and people were making fun of them and, and they happened to raise bears, I, might, I would totally direct them to Elijah. I would totally direct them to Elijah. By the way, right about now, only the other Jews in the range of my voice, uh, uh, either now or in the future in the archives, are chuckling about Elijah being bald and killing people with bears. Uh, trust us. <laughs> trust us. We know what we're talking about here, okay? I'm not. I'm not just making that shit up. That's not just. That's not just. Uh, that's not just me being weird, you know, like alpacas disguised as sheep and all this crazy stuff we talk about on the show is humor. No, seriously, Elijah bald and gets mocked for it, and bears come and eat people. Okay, just saying. I'm just saying. There, there you go. Okay. 
But I will say this much. I will say this much. Don't fucking come around me with that Saint Elijah bullshit. I'm serious. Listen, I'm trying to be respectful for everybody here. It's not my place to tell other people things that are different from their normal experience and their culture. And that being said, Kishamia Yiddish Atukas, don't come near me with that Saint Elijah bullshit. That is the prophet Elijah. That is the Jewish prophet Elijah. He ain't your fucking saint. Sorry, he's ours first. We got him. You want to talk about guests in the house? Let's talk about guests in the fucking house. You think there's a problem in hoodoo with white people coming in and appropriating hoodoo? You're right. There totally is. There's a bad, serious problem. And if you'd like to see how serious and bad that problem can get, I give you Christianity. The No one has been as appropriate fucking aided as the goddamn Jews, okay? You take our songs, you take our words, you take our traditions. Now we've got messianic, quote-unquote, Jews, who are actually Christians, who are engaged in Jewish cosplay. I'm still trying to figure this one the fuck out. Jewish cosplay taking our clothes, our mannerisms, our styles, our ways of grooming, the whole nine yards. Okay? You want to talk about appropriate fucking-ation? There's some appropriate fucking-ation. All right? Right the hell there. He is not Saint Elijah. He is the prophet Elijah. That is Elijah the grumpy Jewish ghost who we give a glass of wine to every damn year. That's how grumpy this dude is. Like, here's a glass of wine, dude. Okay? That's not Saint Elijah. That is the prophet Elijah. So, sorry. Wow. Got under Professor Porterfield's skin, finally. So, yes, of course, work I do calls upon the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Do I accept that there's a Father, a Son, and a Holy Ghost, a triviatum, that, there's, that God is somehow, that God is somehow uh, broken up into three parts or nine parts or 12 parts or 30 parts or 55 parts? No. God is one. God is all. There is but one God, and that God is God. Hear now, O children of Israel. But the people I work for, deal with, live with, love, call upon, find comfort and suffer from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And it would be wrong of me to just suddenly eliminate that because it's not a part of my belief. Oh, oh! all of a sudden I'm supposed to just take my... I would be no better than these people that I get on here every goddamn week and try to warn you all about. I would be another joker, another rambler, another gambler, another taker, another changer, Somebody the fuck else trying to malform hoodoo into some other thing. So yes, my spells do call upon Jesus or the blood of Jesus to help cleanse, wash, or otherwise purify my clients. Do you think you get 
more Jewish or Old Testament-based clients on account of your religious adherence and way of working hoodoo in this regard. Oh, do I ever. Do I ever. First of all, please remember there's a lot of hoodoo that has been expressed publicly in a form of what I would call a code or a cant, okay, um, uh, a way of speaking so that those in the know understood and those on the outside didn't. You can read more about that in The Sporting Life, available from uh, Lucky Mojo, if you would like to. You can also find it on Amazon. And there is this way of saying things, this kind of a, uh, an internal language that is used, and we're all aware of that. So uh, I will tell you right now that when it is said, um, Professor Porterfield is an Old Testament worker. Does that mean I work with the Old Testament? Yes, of course it does. Does that mean I have a devout devotion to the text of, that is contained in the, quote, Old Testament? Yes, of course it does. But what it also means is Professor Porterfield is a Jew. If you doubt me, why don't you go ask the other Jews involved in hoodoo? They totally know what is being said when that sentence is being put into the world. And so do 70-year-old grandmothers in Tupelo, Mississippi. African-American 70-year-old grandmothers in Tupelo, Mississippi totally know what the hell was being said there, and they call my ass. Let me tell you somebody else who calls me because I'm a Jew. People who are uh, Muslim or Islamic will also hire me because I am a Jew. Why? Because they have a cultural tradition that says that Jews are powerful sorcerers. Think I'm lying? Check it out. It's true. And they will call me because, oh, Jewish sorcerer. I totally need a Jewish sorcerer. Now, what's funny about that is that Jews also have a cultural tradition, particularly amongst Middle Eastern Jews, Mana Jews, uh, that, uh, that Muslims uh, are powerful sorcerers. So we're basically both crossing the street constantly okay, to uh, you know, go to each other because the grass is greener. But there are many people – there are many people who are Islamic who do in fact go to or come to me as clients because I am – they seek me out. They particularly do that. I have many older people, older African-American people who come to me because I am a Jew because they see that. In their understanding, to them, that means that I am a righteous man. I have many younger, my age and younger people that come to me because I'm a Jew because they are dissatisfied with what has happened inside the Christian church. They believe that the Christian church that they are members of has lost its way and has started to uh, become something that it's not. Uh, and that it's not intended to be. So they come to me as a Jew because they believe that I, you know, am a, 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 a adhering, adhering to a, a, a more traditional or stricter version of the tenets of the Old Testament. And then finally, I have a good deal of Southerners who come to me because I am a Jew, because, and, and I will mention some people in the North, who come to me as because I'm a Jew, because they believe Jews are lucky. The lucky Jew. Man, I've had people want to touch me. 
I'm serious. Touch me because, you know, like, you know, you want to talk about Jesus here for a minute. I totally get it, right? Like the, oh, let me touch your, you know, let me touch the corners of your garments. Uh, that, by the way, would have been his prayer shawl. Uh, you know, uh, the point being that they think I, uh, that Jews are lucky. And therefore, as a Jew, I am lucky. And therefore, that luck can be transferred to them. It is, by the way, oh, Troll Tal had just brought this up. And it is, by the way, one of the experiences I share with my African-American brothers and sisters and friends in that people will touch me without my permission, particularly my head and my beard. Uh, and if I am wearing uh, talus, they will touch my talus um, because they think I'm lucky. And so I have, I have the exact same experience of this, you know, you have no boundary, right? And you have no respect for me and you're just going to take from me because I'm lucky and you'll get it. So yes, I do actually have many clients who come to me because I am Jewish. There is also a – you must understand. You must understand that there, are th that there are stereotypes which are still negative, which are still harmful, as all stereotypes are, that are framed in a positive manner. Now, that might be hard for you to – Get your head around if you've never had to deal with stereotypes being used against you. But let me give you an example. I have had people tell me that, of course, I was a good writer because I was a Jew. See, in other words, I'm not a good writer. It's nothing I did, right? I didn't, I didn't arduate. You know, I didn't sit and sweat over every goddamn sentence and try to make sure it's all good. And you know, my hands tremble and shake as I bring it to Catherine Ironwood and go, the book is done and pass it off to her. Like the last man in a lifeboat that we're going to let drift away. Take it, take the book. No, 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 no. It was because I was a Jew. See, and certainly she's just a good editor because she's a Jew, right? We didn't develop these skills on our own. See, that's a negative stereotype framed in a positive way. I've been told that I'm good with money because I'm a Jew. Again, negative stereotype framed in a positive way. Oh, of course you're smart. Of course you're intelligent because you're a Jew. Of course you're this or that, which isn't a negative thing because you're a Jew. Of course all blacks got rhythm. Of course they're good at sports. See, it's this backhanded bullshit. And the reason I bring that up is because I will admit to you that there have been clients who have come to me because they believe Jews are wiser. They believe that Jews have some special, you know, some special hold on wisdom, that we got some extra portion of wisdom in the world. And so they want to call me because I'm a Jew, all right? so they can participate in that special little extra bit of wisdom that I got. By the way, this also comes back to the whole thing about people being experts on Jews who don't know shit about Judaism, because no one is quicker to point out Jewish sin than non-Jews. See, believe it or not, and my entire life experience has taught me this, there are Jews in the chat room, and they can tell me if I'm off base here or if they too have experienced this, we as Jews are held to a higher standard. We as Jews are held to a higher standard. Man, I know Christians who will eat chili-flavored Fritos in the middle of the night and wash it down with Diet Dr. Pepper and a breath mint, okay, who suddenly become experts on what is kosher and what is not kosher 
the minute I lift a fork at a goddamn table. Okay? Oh, no, you can't eat that. It's whatever. Well, you're not allowed to eat that. Well, first of all, who the fuck are you, Rabbi? You know? What, oh, oh, look, everybody. Look, everybody. It's Rabbi Ben Goyam here to make sure that I don't eat a fucking oyster. All right? No, I'm not supposed to eat an oyster. Do I eat an oyster? I eat the hell out of an oyster. I eat the, oh, I love oysters. I love oysters. And, and in fact, and in fact, if, if you, you can come to California uh, and come up to Forestville sometime, up to Guerneville, etc., there's this fantastic like uh, broiled oyster, like this this thing. They have this oyster festival up there, and they 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 cook these oysters, and they're not raw oysters. I'm sure you can get raw oysters as well, but they they broil and, <coughs> and bake and barbecue these oysters and it's fantastic and i guarantee you uh while if you come up there while it's going on you'll see Catherine ironwood there and if i'm there you'll see me there and she and i will be you know oh, no no here you take the last oyster all right and yet i do not walk around in my life going uh, uh you're not supposed to bear false witness uh, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself, dude. Dude, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You're, you're not, he told you, and you're not. I'm not in charge of that, okay? Get it. Write it down. Figure it out and affix it in your brains. When you see Professor Porterfield eating an oyster, Professor Porterfield is delightfully of his own free will informed, quote-unquote, sinning. He is right there engaged in het. Okay? He is right there engaged in het. That's me with the oyster and the shrimp doing that. And guess who has to deal with that on Yom Kippur? Me. And do you think for a heartbeat I have ever dealt with it on Yom Kippur? No, I have never. I have never prayed and apologized and made penance for eating shellfish. Do you know why? Because I know I'm going to do it again. And we as Jews are taught that if you make penance on Yom Kippur for a sin that you have done, het, that you have committed, you should then change your goddamn behavior. Otherwise, it's no good. It's no good to say, hey, you know, I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and I've done all this terrible shit, and I'm sorry. Ah, I'm washed clean, and then go back to being a dirty, rotten scoundrel. That's not how you atone. You atone by saying, tone by saying, I shouldn't do this. This is why I shouldn't do this. This is what I did that was wrong. This is who I make amends to. I must now go make amends, and now I will not engage in that behavior again. And I got news for you. <laughs> I'm totally going to engage in that again. I mean, the minute they walk by with the shrimp cocktail, I'm going to go, uh, excuse me, waiter, uh, I happened to notice you had the shrimp cocktail, but you have them in this little thing where it's like a little martini glass, and it's got three shrimp in it and a little bit of cocktail sauce in the bottom of that and a wedge of lemon. And I was wondering – I don't mean to take up too much of your time. I know you're busy here in the restaurant. I was wondering, do you have that in a bucket form? That, ask my wife, pal. Seriously, I don't want three shrimp in a martini glass with a slice of wedge. I want a bucket full of shrimp. I mean, listen, if there's less than 20 shrimp there, we're not even getting near me being totally satisfied and happy. All right? 
I, I, I mean, seriously, seriously. We're, I'm not. No, there, this shrimp needs to come in bucket sizes. Okay. Catherine Ironwood once went to Las Vegas and ate 42 shrimp, and I salute her. And in fact, I am right now announcing that sometime in 2017, there will be a Catherine Ironwood Professor Porterfield shrimp eating off. And if you would like to come and place bets on who can eat the most shrimp, Catherine or I, uh, we'll get Nagashiva to hold the money, and you can start a pool. And and the only people that are going to win out of this are me and Catherine, because we're going to get all the shrimp. Now, by the same token, when I go to eat shrimp and when I go to eat oysters and when I go to eat, you know, a pork tenderloin, whatever, I guarantee you that I am not wearing my kippah. I am not wearing my, that's a yarmulke to you. I am not wearing my head covering. I am not wearing my kippah. Why? People say, oh, you're being disingenuous. If you're going to do that, wear your kippah. If you're going to sin, well, first of all, it's not sin, it's head. If you're going to do whatever, then you're blah, 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 blah. Here's why I don't. Because it's not my place to shame other Jews. And it's not my place to present a negative image of other Jews to the world. And that is part of my responsibility as a Jew. If I'm going to go sin, quote unquote, we're just going to stick with that word. If I'm going to go sin, then that's me. That's me. That's me sinning. And I am not here to have other people say, you know those Jews, just because I'm harming others. Because I am potentially harming others. I may then present an image in their minds that they then take away, that they then use and abuse against other Jews who would never get anywhere near, anywhere near a shrimp. And here's what you just learned about me. Troll Tal had said, oh, I'm ladyhearted. No, Troll, I'm not ladyhearted. What you just learned, what you just learned about Professor Porterfield is that Professor Porterfield has not freed himself yet. He works very hard at it. He works very hard at it. But Professor Porterfield has not freed himself yet of the lie, the bitter, bitter, bitter bitter lie them, then they will accept us. That lie, that adaptive lie that has been told to every Jew that I have ever known my entire fucking life, that idea that if we play nice, if we, you know, hey, do all my black friends in the room know what the fuck I'm talking about right now? Yeah, you do. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, if we just learn to talk right and wash behind our ears, you'll stop calling us Sister Sally. Okay? That that ad- adopting things, that becoming like them works. And it doesn't. And no one taught us that le- lesson better than the nation of fucking Germany. It does not work. It doesn't work at all. It doesn't work at all. We can never be enough like them. And yet, here's still Professor Porterfield engaging in Shanda Fotogoyam. Don't do this. Don't do this because if you can pick me out, you'll hurt other Jews. If I, you see me acting this way, you'll hurt other Jews. And it's just a lie. But we all have our struggles, and now you know a little bit about mine.
Now you know a little bit about mine. So there you go. I hope that I've answered that well for you, uh, Troll Towelhead. And now we're going to try to fit the rest of the show into it because we went way over. And uh, there's your answers, Troll. Hope you enjoyed them. Here's how I'll sum it up. Troll, at the end of the day, Jesus is just all right by me. Lucky Mojo Hooter Rootwork Hour, hosted by Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ali, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. 
Candela's Corner, starring Candela Cambisa and Michael Correll, Mondays 5 to 7. The Crystal Silence League Hour, hosted by John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6. In the Streets with Beverly Smith, Tuesdays 6 to 7. The Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursdays 6 to 7.30. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron, starring Elvira Love and Phoenix LaFay, Fridays 6 to 7. And Liquid Libations with Andrea Weston, Saturdays 5 to 7. All time specific, at 3 hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. And coming soon in October, on Wednesday nights, Fit and Foxy with Madam Nadia and Susan Barnes. Please, won't somebody... Won't somebody think of poor Troll Towelhead, our chief engineer? He has to constantly re-record that. Up next, a little section I like to call... Divination and You. Tonight on Divination and You, we will quickly be talking about mediumship. You know, where you sit and you, you commune and you contact with spirits and even ghosts. Mm-hmm. I feel myself sinking down mm-hmm. I feel myself sinking down My body is freezing, I feel something cold creeping around. My windows is rattling, my doorknob turning round and round. My windows is rattling, my doorknob turning round and round. Haunted house blues is killing me. I feel myself sinking down. I've been fastening this haunted house six long months today. I've been fastening this haunted house six long months today. The blue ghost has got the house around it loud and I can't get away. They got shotguns and pistols standing all around my door. They got shotguns and pistols standing all around my door. They haunt me all night long, so I can't sleep no more. The blue ghost haunts me all night. The nightmare rides me all night long. The blue ghost haunts me at night. The nightmare rides me all night long. They worry me so in this haunted house I wish I were dead and gone 
really have any brownies on that because no one made a definitive statement. The closest person would be Catherine Ironwood. She came, you know, she just wasn't quite sure. That was, in fact, Lonnie Johnson with a cheap cheap guitar. You're right, cheap model of a guitar. That was Lonnie Johnson with Blue Ghost Blues. Blue Ghost Blues from 1927. And I'll leave it to the audience to figure out what we're talking about with the Blue Ghost. So there you go. That takes us into Divination and You. And tonight we're going to be talking about mediumship. And unfortunately, we're going to talk about it very quickly because we're running out of time. Mediumship is a form of divination. Ah, that's why it's in Divination and You. Or spiritual consultation in which the medium or reader transmits messages from spirits primarily the spirits of the dead. And clients will seek to establish communication with loved ones who have passed on to the other side, and a gifted medium can help bring this about, can help make that contact happen. In addition to general communication, some clients may wish to ask yes or no questions of the spirits of the dead, or they may simply wish to convey their love and support to those who have gone on before, or to ask for forgiveness for something they did. Ah, that ties in with our earlier discussion. Likewise, the dead themselves may wish to send messages to the living, uh, bringing uh, words of hope and comfort, conveying information that may benefit the client. I hid the money behind the picture. Or speaking words of truth uh, about issues that were left unresolved in life. Uh, uh, your mother didn't kill me. I did it myself. Or wisdom from the other side. Now that I am here, I see this, blah, blah, blah. Many mediums, but not all, are, by any scope of the imagination, but many mediums are members of spiritual spiritualist churches of various denominations because spiritualism is a religion founded upon a belief in communication with spirits. And you can go to Lady Dale and check that out. Others may be psychic readers who have developed their gifts for mediumship within uh, the ancestral traditions of Af the African-American process, but outside the cultural framework of spiritualism or any religious organization. And within mediumship, we see a lot of different things. This is where we all – oh, by, this is where you would have a seance, by the way. Within medianism is where you would have a mediumship within a seance. So, by the way, if, if, you know, if there's a wet afternoon and you would like to have a seance, please do. I suggest that all seances take place best on wet afternoons. And I'll leave you to figure out the reference there. This is also where you see the use of something like a Ouija board, um, which I insist on calling a yes-yes board. And so uh, when you see the use of Ouija boards or yes-yes boards, uh, this is also mediumship also includes automatic writing. Uh, automatic writing and the use of a writing plachette is where one's hand or arm is taken over by the spirit. One is not actually, uh, you know, doing it themselves. The spirit is controlling the uh, hand to leave messages. Uh, also, in the case of a yes-yes board, a Ouija board, a talking board, or a spirit board, here the spirit is, again, doing one of two things, depending on who you talk to, either guiding the hands of those touching the plushette or guiding the plushette itself 
to move to point at various letters and numbers to spell out words. You will also find that there, within mediumship, there is the idea within uh, Christian, certain Christian denominations, that this is also thought of as being the gift of the Spirit, which includes the speaking in tongues of angels. And this is where the Spirit falls upon someone uh, in a state of grace and is somewhat similar to spirit possession and is very, very, very traditional and very normative and often characterized in African traditional religions, but also in uh, black Protestant Christian uh, denominations. And during this, uh, the spirit will descend onto the person. This would be the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, or the spirit of a particular, in an African traditional religion, of a particular deity or angel or spirit, and deliver messages. And this is somewhat similar to automatic writing, again, in that the spirit is using the individual as a vessel to bring about uh, messages, information. And this sort of speaking in tongues happens in a number of different ways. It can either be in direct messages, very clearly spoken. In this case, what we're looking at is possession, or it can be in this supposedly angelic language. This is where people say things like, uh, uh, somebody tie my bow tie, somebody sold my Honda. Uh, but you have to say it very quickly. So all together now, somebody tie my bow tie, somebody sold my Honda. Somebody tie my bow tie, somebody sold my Honda. Okay? And you see a lot of this in the Pentecostal church, particularly the, but not exclusively, the black Pentecostal church, but also the white Pentecostal church. I have an aunt by marriage who the Spirit descends on and speaks in tongues. Um, also, you will see channeled mediumship. In this, uh, the dead, angels, or other spiritual entities, very popular in the Victorian period, were Indian spirits or Native American spirits may be consulted, but rather than being taken over by a spirit as we just discussed, the medium in this case retains control and possession of his or whole body and mind while in communication with the disincarnate spirit. And this type of spiritual divination is sometimes called channeling. Now, certainly there is a tradition of mediumship within hoodoo. We see it time and time and time and time again. And again, like we have discussed, every time we talk about a form of divination, we talk a little bit about what you have to be careful of. And what you have to be careful of in mediumship is a number of things. First of all, you must be careful of pre-investigation by a supposed medium. In other words, the medium may have done all this sort of uh, information. You know, they looked you up, they found out who died, they found all this information, and then they pretend to be in communication with the spirit. And also, it is... Uh, the channeling. What can I say about the channeling? Hmm. Here, here is my warning about channeling. And I'm going to say one word, and then you must go and educate yourself. Ask others. They will help you. What is the problem sometimes with channeling? Rantha. That is the problem with channeling right there. And if you want to go out and, and see Rantha and, and find out about Rantha, go ahead and do it. And uh, people have asked me, well, what the hell is going on with Ramtha? What the hell is that? What's, what, what, is, what, is, what, is, what, is, what is Knight doing? What is she doing with that Ramtha thing? And I will tell you what she is doing with that Ramtha thing. 
she has made Mel Brooks, uh, Mel Brooks's thousand-year-old man. This is Jay Z Knight I'm talking about here. She has made uh, Mel Brooks's thousand and Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner's thousand-year-old man into a religion. Okay, I'm not joking. That's exactly what Ramtha is. It is Mel Brooks's and Carl Reiner's thousand-year-old man, the cult. Mel Brooks and and Carl Reiner's thousand-year-old man, the cult. So, but there are many legitimate and honest mediums out there, and you should take a look at it. So I hope this week that you will take some time to go out and learn a little bit about mediumship, talking boards, plushettes, automatic writing, channeled mediumship, and direct mediumship. And we want to thank all the good people at the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers for the inclusion of information from their site in the show each and every week. Why not take a look at them at readersandrootworkers.org. Up next, if we have time, cloves. That's right, cloves, not cinnamon, cloves. Moonlight warms the silver sand. A sleeper sails across the coast. The water's crystal in your hand. The air is Sergio Mendez, Cinnamon and Clove, as presented by Herb Albert, next week in full. Tonight we're going to talk about cloves in the kitchen. And cloves appear primarily in spells for money drawing, prosperity, room renting, and friendship. And let's talk about a couple of ways you can use them. You can use cloves to stop garlic. That uh, I'm sorry. No, you can use cloves to stop gossip. I'm in the kitchen, so I'm thinking about cloves and cinnamon and garlic. You can use cloves to stop gossip. To do this, you would burn a red candle studded with whole cloves to stop slander, malicious gossip, and lies, and your enemies will become friendlier to you. How do you do that? You would gently heat the candle so it's not soft, it's not melty, but just it's a little, you know, like you could leave it, you know, in uh, take it with you in a warm car. Okay, so it's just a little soft, and then you would go around it by studding the candle with cloves. 
If you don't know how to do this, I suggest that this holiday season you engage in a very time-honored tradition and get you an orange and a can of cloves, a container of cloves from the supermarket, and stud an orange with cloves. It's a fun and wonderful thing to do with you and your children. My kids have done it since they were babies, and we're still doing it. And it'll teach you how to stud something with cloves and make a lovely thing for you to have in your house during the holidays. Now I'm like Miss Loretta. But you would do the same thing. You stud the red candle with cloves to stop slander, malicious gossip, and lies. You can also use cloves as a friendship charm. To do this, you fill two small cloth bags with seven cloves each and hang them on thin cotton cords to be worn as necklaces. If two people wear these until the cord break, they will remain good friends the rest of their lives. So in other words, you take one and I take the other. We wear them until that white cotton cord breaks, which it will because you've got to shower, you sweat, etc., and then we're friends for the rest of our lives. And then also you can make an excellent crap shooter's mojo with cloves. A very fine gambling hand is made with a pair of lucky dice that have been retired from play. This means you played with these dice, they were good to you, and now you are retiring them. And you take them a pinch each of five-finger grass, cinnamon, Irish moss, thyme, and cloves in a red flannel bag and dress the bag with Lady Luck oil, special dice oil, or Hoyt's cologne. And I can tell you that this is actually an excellent, excellent mojo. I have made and used it myself, and I highly recommend it. The only thing I would add to it is I would say it works best when those dice that you have been throwing are bone dice. It, it just seems to add a little something to it, in my opinion. And again, that's an opinion, not a fact. Now, you might have wondered, why cloves tonight? Well, I will tell you why cloves tonight. The reason for cloves tonight is because the clove also represents the nails of the crucified Jesus. That is correct. And so you see, it was all a part. It was all pre-planned, folks. You've seen behind the curtain. You've seen behind the curtain. Oh, oh, and Catherine Einward even mentioned it. Kudos to you, Catherine. Kudos to you. That is correct. The clove represents the nails, the nails uh, that were used to affix Jesus Christ to the cross, a Roman method of execution. He said, tongue firmly in his cheek, a Roman method of execution, not a Jewish method of execution. Cough, 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 cough. I'm sorry we didn't have enough time to listen to all of Sergio Mendez's Cinnamon and Clove. I like it. I'm sorry. That's just who I am. I, you know, I understand there are people in the audience right now going, Herb Albert? Really? You listen to Herb Albert there, Professor? Yeah, I listened to Herb Bauer. You heard it. You heard it here live. My mother is in deep shame of me. I listened to all that stuff. I listened to all that loungy kind of music, and I just adore it. And my mom just walks around behind me, rolling her eyes. with Talk about Jesus. She's just got her hands up going, Jesus, what do I do with this child? He's too old to strangle anymore. They'll find the body. 
And I'm just sitting there going, yeah, do 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 yeah, all right, da 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 da. My mom, we go places and she pretends like she doesn't know me. She tells people I'm a hobo she picked up on the side of the road and shit. It's it's embarrassing for her. So, but uh, who knows? Next week we might play MacArthur Park by Richard Harris just to annoy my mom. Just to annoy my mom, we might do that because she is she hates that song, and she's the one that got me into it, you know, because it was playing in her kitchen, you know, that's where I heard it for the first time when I was a kid. So there you go, hey Richard Harris, a man called Horse, singing about kites that he's left out in the rain, and he'll never have that recipe again. It's like okay, Richard, I don't know what drugs you were taking, but man, they must have been good. I mean, come on, come on. Catherine, Gabriel Swain, seriously, don't you think Richard was into some really good fucking drugs when he, you know, MacArthur Park? I mean, come on, the men in their striped pants. I mean, wow. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Now You Know Show. Please remember that all through this, the rest of this month and the month of which is over uh, this week and all throughout October, we are taking your letters. We are taking your letters and questions for our pontification here. So if you have an issue that you would like discussed or answered in the professor's pontification on the Now You Know Show, and we'll read your name and everything, please send an email to prof, P-R-O-F, profporterfield at gmail.com, and I will be honored and pleased to put it on the show. Well, everybody's gone. Miss Miss Loretta has taken off with her lovely husband to eat goulash, and this is it. This is the end. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, It is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. And don't back the food west. Come on down to Dallas, drink call Kitty. Coming through the territory in Kansas City. And Kansas City, St. Louis. And St. Louis, Chicago. I'm on my way, but I'm doing well.
Street Depot. 